Welcome to the Witches and Wine audio experience. very first class and it's going to be about exactly what I've been talking about this dangerous potent playful magic this glamour magic not faux glamour real glamour magic hello everyone Chowan here and today I don't have a guest and I'm nervous I feel really honored that Jacqueline Sherry from the Nephilism Rising She sent over these amazing questions for me to answer. And this is for a column that she does called Witch of the Week. I can only hope that I can do these questions justice with my answers. So, okay, let's start. So the first question is for just some sort of bio. Who am I, basically? I'm an East Coast Korean-American. I say Korean-American purposely. I consider myself an hyphenated. American. Jesse Hathaway Diaz and I discussed this, what it means to occupy that really delicate liminal space where you're hyphenated, where you're bicultural, bilingual, Korean hyphen American, Mexican hyphen American, African hyphen American. I remember when I was growing up, whenever I would get a new teacher or a substitute teacher, when they would get to my name in the roll call, they'd always, always say, I'm going to mess up this name. I'm sorry, I'm gonna butcher this. As I was growing up, I often wondered, should I get an American name? I just decided, uh, actually I decided in kindergarten. So, okay, when I was in kindergarten, I had this teacher, first day of kindergarten, who just turns to me and goes, hi, can I call you Chow? Like, the first day that she's met me, it's not like she's even really tried to practice saying my name. And she just asks me, but you know, at that age, teachers are not really asking you, they're kind of telling you. And this is like in the 80s, being politically correct was not a thing back then. So I don't think she meant anything by it, but she just was uncomfortable saying my name. It was difficult for her. Like my eyes were just fucking throwing daggers at her. Like the fuck, no. And so after a five second awkward as fuck silence, she was like, okay, fine, never mind." <laughs> So of course there was that thought of, oh, my name is so hard. I don't want to be that girl whose name is hard. I want to be that person that makes everybody feel comfortable. But a larger part of me thought, no, it's my name. It's my identity and I choose my identity. And that sort of ability to think outside of what mainstream society expects of you I think that's the hallmark of any person who's a witch, a sorcerer, somebody who's magical. It's somebody who's willing to put up with the discomfort and possible ostracization. I say that word right. Ostracization. There's an uncompromising aspect to being a magical person, to being a witch. 
And at five years old, looking at this white bread and egg salad teacher who wanted to call me something else simply because it was easier for her, the witch part of me was activated. <laughs> that little seed of a witch, it just suddenly just got turned on and without even a word, I was able to convey, no, my name is Chawan. I'm not a Mary or a Jennifer. I choose to be Chawan. And I'm gonna keep this name forever and ever and ever and ever. Next question. You are an atheist witch. What does that mean to you? What does it mean to be an atheist and a witch? Hmm. So Jacqueline is referring to the first article I wrote for Pathios Pagan, which is called To Be an Atheist Witch. I guess right now it would be more accurate to say that I am not a hard atheist, but a soft atheist witch. So a hard atheist completely disavows any spirit world existence. Versus a soft atheist, I wouldn't say that they're open-minded, but it's more like they don't say no. They just say there's not enough evidence to support it. But to be honest, I don't even know if I can be considered a soft atheist even now, because even though I don't have any evidence for the spirit world, there's just something in me that this gut feeling that says that there's more to reality than just what I can sense with my eyes or my ears or, or, or any of my five senses. So let's build some context here. I started off as a hard atheist. We're talking about the type of atheist who reads all of Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and watches the atheist experience religiously. <laughs> when you say, I don't know if there's a God or not, you're saying that's an agnostic statement. It's saying, I don't know. When you say, I can't say I believe in God, well, that, that's an atheist statement. That's saying, I, I, I don't have belief. So if you don't have the belief, then you're a non-believer. And it, people have a hard time with that because they tend to look at atheism as a statement of knowledge, but it's really not. So when you, when you can't say you believe in it, you don't have the belief. So right. that, I mean, definitionally, that makes you an atheist. And I was actually radicalized after reading Sam Harris's book, Letter to a Christian Nation. I think that's the title of the book. But I've softened my stance because the more that I learn about religion versus spirituality, the more I'm willing to make space for all different sorts of gray and not have it be so binary. Korean Americans are extremely Christian. And the reason why is because the church, much like it is in a lot of other minority communities, the church is the pillar of, of society for Korean Americans. If you're in a foreign land, in a place where your very existence is constantly questioned, then having something in the center of your society that you can lean on, it's of great comfort. And I get that. Christianity never offered that to me. I remember when I was five years old, and my parents were getting divorced. So my sister and I, we were sent to Korea to be with our grandparents. And you have to understand that at that point, I had never, I, don't, I didn't remember Korea. Going from Northern Virginia uh, to Korea, and this was like before the 1988 Olympics. And I think this is like 
yeah, like early mid 80s. And Korea probably still had a military dictatorship at that point. And I remember we would have these air drills. People who lived in Seoul, we would all have to turn off our lights. Like we would have to cut the electricity so that there would be a blackout in the city just in case the North Koreans would come and bomb us. Nobody told me anything about why I was in Korea. So I, I was completely in the dark in so many ways. It was only natural that I would have nightmares. And one night after a particularly bad nightmare, my grandmother came in and uh, she started squirting holy water around the room. Okay, I'm five years old, but even I realized that what I really need is a hug. I need somebody who will actually give me answers. I need to be listened to. I don't need holy water. So I already had this, this bias against Christianity as being superstitious, which is interesting because I think I still kind of believed in Santa Claus at that point. And then when I went back to America, I lived with my mother and she couldn't take us to church. Fortunately for me, but unfortunately for her. She was a young single mother, an immigrant, living in a foreign country, no friends, no family, not a lot of money. This is the time when somebody really needs church, right? This is the time when church is supposed to be there for you. But she felt as though she couldn't go to church because she would be judged by the Christians there. And she would have been completely right. That same sense of self that I felt when that kindergarten teacher tried to call me Chow because that was easier for her, that core inside me, it was activated yet again because I thought to myself, there's nothing wrong with being a divorced woman. There's nothing wrong with trying to make a better life for yourself. And yet she can't turn to this church because she knows that she's going to be judged and that her children would be judged because of it. So in my young mind, you had a, a religion that was completely without logic, without common sense, full of superstition that made zero sense to me whatsoever, had no efficacy whatsoever in what they did, and also was completely hypocritical and went against what I felt was humanity. And so I was like, Christianity is not for me. But I will say that even though I was a hard atheist, I think I was more hard in public than I was behind closed doors. I would get these books about ghosts and I would get books about Buddhism and I would get books about aliens and mystical religious experiences and I would read them. I would never reference them to anybody, but I would read them. So the second part of the question is, what does it mean to be an atheist witch? It means that you are always fucking uncomfortable. Uh, I'm so new at this. I stopped being a hard atheist about two years ago. And so I've spent basically half my life, up until almost age 40, being a hard atheist, uh, but closet interested in esoteric and occult things. Uh, but at least publicly being a hard atheist. So trying to find how to integrate those two things, it's difficult because they're on really far ends of the spectrum. All these dichotomies are things that I'm constantly trying to juggle and to balance 
and to to fucking deal with. In that sense, everything about my life is hyphenated. So come back to me when I'm about 70 years old and maybe I'll have a better answer for you. Next question. What does witchcraft look like for you? I have this altar set up right there. And in the morning it's covered in yellow and it is uh, a Helios altar. But at night I take off the yellow and it becomes a Hecate altar. So I do a lot of work with Hecate and I've taken Jason Miller's Sorcery of Hecate course, which I recommend highly to all witches. I also do a lot of planetary work, so the seven traditional planets, and uh, I work a lot with Rufus Opus's Seven Spheres, that book. Um, I also do a lot of stuff that Aidan Wachter talks about in his book, Six Ways, and I think he calls his stuff dirt sorcery, and I'm all about that dirt sorcery. Of course, there's the ancestor veneration, and that's just, like, that's in my blood, because Korean culture is Neo-Confucian culture. In October of the lunar year, blood relatives who share the same family name come together at the site of their ancestors' graves. This is Cheza, ancestral rites performed with all family members present. This ceremony is for the ancestors. Koreans have always believed in the existence of souls and served up feasts to the souls of their ancestors. Even today, the two biggest holidays in Korea are Seollal, which is Chinese New Year, and Chuseok, which is kind of like the harvest festival. You're setting up a table, a feast of food. We're talking fish and fruit and rice, alcohol. And you're putting up placards of either the names of the ancestors, maybe even pictures. Jeza is an important part of Korean culture, which emphasizes filial duty. It's performed on holidays such as the Lunar New Year or Chuseok, and on the anniversary of the ancestor's death. Some families also perform Jeza twice a year, in spring and in autumn. We're talking millions and millions of Koreans are worshipping their ancestors, are venerating their ancestors, and this has been going on for centuries and centuries and centuries. And of course, glamour magic is a part of what I do naturally, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Next question. In a recent blog, you said magic is helping you to be a little less strict as an atheist. What did you mean by it's softening your edges? I think a lot of people would be surprised to know that my atheism, and especially my skeptical materialism, it started to soften actually because of a science book. One of the most influential books in my life is Hyperspace by Dr. Michio Kaku. And it's one of those books where, when I'm reading it, and I've read it several times, when I'm reading it, I'm totally in the zone, and I get it. Like, everything is a revelation to me. But then, as soon as I close the covers, I just forget everything that I've read inside. It was my first book of spells. What I learned from that book was that there's so much science that you can prove mathematically but we don't yet have the instruments to prove via the five senses. 
If you had told people 70 years ago that most of this universe is made out of this dark matter that you can't really see or measure or anything like that at that time, most people would have laughed at you. Dark matter was that teapot that Bertrand Russell talked about. But now we can actually demonstrate that it's real. There's a whole area of science that is like magic, but it's called science because at least math can show it. That made my mind more flexible. But you know, like my atheism isn't something that I can ever discount, ever, because it informs even the way that I do magic now. For me, magic is a technology. It's not something you believe. It's something you do and then you get results. That's what appeals to me. One of the things that I can't stand about the New Age movement is this belief in belief. That if you believe it, it's gonna happen. Because evidence shows that just because you believe in something, even fervently, even to the point where you're willing to die for it, it doesn't necessarily mean that your world is gonna change to reflect that belief. And to ignore that, or to try to say, oh, you know, you didn't believe enough, that is a cop-out. And that's everything that I hate about religion and things that I consider to be completely irrational. And I even wrote in my article uh, for Pathos Pagan, the day that magic stops working, the day that it doesn't give me the results that I'm looking for, I am not gonna do magic anymore. Magic isn't something that I believe in, it's something that I do. Magic isn't just something that happens on the inside, it's something that's also reflected on the outside. I never understand people who are just like, well, nothing in my life changed, like I didn't get extra money, but I feel richer. And I'm just like, bitch, if you feel richer, but you're not actually richer, in your bank account, then you didn't do the magic right. Do it again. I think a lot of people are resistant to trying it again because they don't want to be wrong. Like they believe in magic and therefore magic is their identity. So to do it again would be saying that, oh, maybe magic isn't real. Then what about my beliefs? Or, oh, I did it wrong. Oh, then I'm a horrible person. This is where I think my atheism has helped me because I don't take it personally when my magic doesn't work. I see it as I'm not experienced and I fucked up somewhere. So I gotta change it, I gotta fix it. And in that sense, that's also made me softer with my magic. If it's something that I'm not believing in and it's something that I'm actually doing and practicing, then it's not something that causes a lot of cognitive dissonance in me. It's something that actually meshes really well with the way that I just live my life. And the way that I live my life is I do it, and then if I fuck up, I try it again until I don't fuck up. Next question. When did you know that you were a witch? Did you ever have to hide it? And if so, why? I was in my late 30s when I started to do magic, so I never had to hide my witch stuff. And I would like to think that even if I had discovered I was a witch at the age of, I don't know, seven years old, that I wouldn't have hidden it. Something in me says that I would have been loud and proud about it because I was loud and proud about being an atheist. Do you think the craft is inherently rebellious? In these Trumpian times, it seems like being a witch is an act of political revolution more and more each day. Is being a witch inherently rebellious? Fuck yes, it's absolutely rebellious. And again, it's this ability to not be part of the mainstream. It's this ability to think outside of the box. 
It's the ability to take personal responsibility and to have agency. And I know everybody likes to throw around that word a lot, agency. You know, what does that mean to have personal agency? And a lot of it comes with this deep sense that you exist and you are worthy and absolutely meant to exist. It doesn't matter what anybody else tells you because they're not spirit. They're nothing but flesh and bone like you and they're gonna die soon, just like you're gonna die soon. If spirit was so great and being a human was so horrible, then none of us would be human. We would just all have stayed spirit and yet spirit decided to materialize and to come down into this realm, into this dimension. Why? Why? And I think a lot of people would say, oh, there's no reason. Why does there have to be a reason? And that's true. There doesn't have to be a reason. And yet the fact that we have the option of putting in reason, and not only that, we have the option of putting in whatever the fuck reason we want to put in. No reason, this sort of reason, that sort of reason. Even as an atheist, I didn't believe in spirits or anything like that, but when people would talk about God, that voice inside of me would always say, I am God. You're God, she's God, he's God. And because I was reading a lot of Buddhist texts on the side, they were saying exactly what I deep down felt and deep down heard. You know, that we are all motherfucking raindrops that are all gonna go back to the motherfucking ocean. So to be a witch is the ability to look at all these other fucking douchebag raindrops and say, you're just a raindrop like me and we're all going back to the ocean. So I'm gonna do me. I don't give a shit what you say that I should do. And you're gonna try to stop me from being a raindrop? Fuck you, I will go around you. I will motherfucking do what I need to do and I'll do it in a way that you can't control me. And what is that? That's magic. If you're a woman, if you're a person of color, if you're trans, if you're anybody who can't go through the mainstream modes of power, if those gates are closed to you simply because of the way that you were born, then magic, those are the back doors. Next question. Would you consider yourself a glam witch? You are open about your love for makeup and you are quite good at it. Hashtag goals. Thank you. So I talked about this a little bit, about how I've always done glamour magic and I didn't realize that it was glamour magic. So what is glamour? Let's define that first. Glamour is when you're taking your natural self, the lump of clay that you are, and you're putting in 100,000% agency and forming it in a way that helps you get through to all the both back gates and the front gates of society. All my life, I've been fascinated by this concept of artifice. And people think of artifice as being a negative thing, but I don't. I see artifice as a type of intelligence, like the ability to make the insides of you evident to the outside. Like to be able to make your inside and your outside match the amount of self-awareness and skill and sophistication that that takes, it's no joke. The way that I use glamour magic is mainly through makeup and hair and my clothes. So it's a costume in a lot of ways. And a lot of people think that it's misleading, you know, like that, that meme about take your girl, 
to the pool on the first day. Get her wet so that all that makeup can wash off and you can see what she really looks like. And I think that's so basic. If you think that that's who they really are, and then I, I think that you're extremely lacking in imagination. It's like you might as well be eating white bread without any butter or anything on top of it. There's no sauce on top of the bun. That's just one aspect of a person. The other aspects of a person come out through how they present themselves to the world. So let's differentiate between glamour that comes from this wonderful, witchy, deep sense of yourself and the glamour that comes from a place of fear and a place of lack. There's a difference. And you can always tell, you can always tell. The glamour that I do is an exploration. It's a method of inner alchemy. It's me deciding that I'm gonna put on cat eyeliner and I'm gonna put my eyebrows this way because I just feel it. It's me expressing archetypes through symbols on my face. And that's one of the things that I do with planetary work. Each of the planets, if you see it from many points of view, not just magical, but also from a more psychological point of view, each of the planets represent a certain archetype. And these archetypes resonate deeply within all of us, across cultures, across time. And what glamour magic does is it activates those archetypes. And by activating the archetype, you're more easily able to go into that magic. And by more easily going into that magic, you can start making shit happen around you. When you're doing glamour from a place of fear, where you're doing it to appease the powers, you're not doing it as a witch. You're doing it as a basic bitch. And that's different. That's easy to see because it's very cookie cutter and it doesn't evolve. And when that mask is taken off, then that person loses a sense of themselves. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not glamour magic. That's faux glamour. Faux glamour is very damaging to the person who practices it. You've lost your agency. It's actually glamour that's being practiced by one person or an entity, like an egregore, society, mainstream society, whatever you want to call it. It's their glamour magic that's being put on you. It's them saying, we want to see this and you need to conform to this. Not because you want to, but because we want it. So then you aren't really practicing magic that way. You're actually intaking the black magic that other people and other things are putting towards you. Magic is about agency. Magic is about you being more of you. But to make glamour magic into something that rejects mainstream beauty, that also is bullshit. To me, the real power of glamour magic is that you don't trigger those who see you as an object and as a threat. Those who would keep you down, they don't feel like they have to be constantly on alert when they see you because you represent something that they actually like. That is a type of glamour magic that nobody really wants to talk about because people in the witchy community, they're so big about rejecting everything about the quote-unquote patriarchy. If you're too concerned about rejecting mainstream beauty standards, then you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You are just as guilty as those who are overly concerned about beauty standards. You both are conflating the beauty with the person. You're not seeing beauty as a tool. You're not seeing glamour as a tool. You're seeing it as the actual person and their worth. If you see beauty and glamour merely as a tool, then you're distant from it. You're not invested in it so much, so you can play with it. There's a certain sort of lightness and a certain sort of wink-wink 
that comes with the dagger and the poison that you hold. Glamour magic is dangerous because what it does is it takes society as it is and then it moves it just a little bit to where the person practicing the glamour magic wants it to go. Unfortunately, the glamour magic that's being practiced en masse, it's the faux glamour. It's the black magic that's being spewed out and being intaked, intooked by others. That's why I want us witches to take back glamour magic. And so guys, I am so excited to announce that I am going to be running my very first class. And it's going to be about exactly what I've been talking about. This dangerous, potent, playful magic. This glamour magic, not faux glamour, real glamour magic. And this glamour magic is going to be based around the seven planets. So we're gonna be going through the planetary gates. It's gonna be teaching you the way that I do glamour magic. And it's going to be using the seven gates and other magical tools to help this tool of glamour magic work the best for you. If you wanna know more about this class, I'll put a link down below and you could sign up for notifications. But uh, yeah, this is the first time I'm talking about the class in public and you guys are the first to hear about it. Next question. Anyone who watches your YouTube channel knows that you love music and have even gone as far as to dissect songs from an occult perspective. What is it about music that you love so much? What are your favorite genres? Dare I ask for favorite songs? Oof, the tables have turned. If you've watched a couple of my interviews, you know that I usually end the interview by asking, what are the three songs that represent you as a magician that represent your magic? And, oh, it's hard to talk about uh, music right now. I almost said magic. To me, music and magic are synonymous. I was addicted to MTV. And we're talking about MTV when it was still playing music television and it was revolutionary. I would watch it 24 seven. One time my cousin and I, we got into a fist fight because he wanted to watch HBO and I wanted to watch MTV. So I was watching Downtown Julie Brown, which was a lot of club music. I was watching Yo MTV Raps, which was rap music. Under 20 minutes, which is like the the grunge music. And I came of age during the Nirvana era. very grateful that I didn't have to be totally informed by boy bands. Although when I was in elementary school, I was really into New Kids on the Block. And then later, I was really into K-pop. We're talking like early K-pop, back in like 1997. H.O.T. Yeah. 
one of the things that Aidan Walker said in Six Ways that I really resonated with is this concept that magic is inherently aesthetic. Like if it feels magical, it's more likely to be magical. And in Bali, which is the most magical place that I've ever been to, and I live here right now, um, I have this friend Nano, and he said, of course, we make our goddesses beautiful because then we are more likely to worship. The offerings that we give of flowers and incense, they smell good and they look wonderful because then we want to do it more. Magic is inherently aesthetic. Magic is inherently about beauty. Magic is inherently glamorous. Magic does glamour magic on us so that we'll do magic more. Part of glamour magic isn't just the visuals. It's the textures. It's the audio. It's the, the taste. It's the luxurious. It's the aesthetic. It's the sensual. To love music, to know music, to have a strong sense of music and musicality is just part of what it means to have authentic glamour magic. So saying all that, if I had to choose three artists, I'm not even going to go with songs or anything, that's just too overwhelming. If I had to choose three artists that have influenced me deeply, it would be Kraftwerk, Blondie, And I'm going to choose K-pop as the third thing. Because K-pop is kind of formulaic, so it's not like one band is extremely different from the other. Next question. Do you think people are sick of the fear and hypocrisy religion delivers? Fuck yes. But I will say this. Even though people reject religion and leave it because it's one huge clusterfuck, that clusterfuck mindset it's hard to let go of and it's brought into the magic community and we see it all the time the thing that drives me absolutely crazy is this entire like love and light love and light love and light love and light it's almost like love and light policing where everything has to be love and light and i kind of blame law of attraction for it like you remember the secret that book in that movie that movie made you believe that if you have a single negative thought if you have a single shadowy thought that it was going to manifest. And of course, that's not true. The mind actually is almost always in neutral mode. So even if you're thinking positive or negative thoughts, nothing happens. It's only when you apply magic to it, or the new age would call it intention to it, that's when it's taking the car out of neutral and into some other gear. What The Secret did that was so damaging is it made people afraid of anything that wasn't love and light. If you're always in love and light, you're not grounded. This world, this three-dimensional world, it's about polarization. It's about both love and light and also about fear and hate. And if you're not coming from a place of groundedness and reality, then how can your magic, if it's technology, how can the technology work? It's like trying to, it's like trying to bake a cake without getting the oven too hot. I'm not about that. And again, this is about that ability that a witch needs to have, especially a glamour witch, on being that bridge between one side of the polarity and the other, to both 
have non-duality and polarization to take those two concepts and be able to walk between those two things between the light and the shadow religion sucks but we need to be very careful that we're not bringing in the bullshit from religion into magic and into witchcraft next question what is the one piece of magical advice that you were given that you will never forget this is a very 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 difficult question for me to answer because i'm interviewing some of the greatest minds in the occult right now everyone is telling me shit that blows my mind i'm just gonna go with something that i heard recently that really stuck with me i was talking to frater ashen chasan i might be fucking up the story and if i am i am so sorry frater chasan but uh <laughs> okay so when he was a teenager, Frater Chasan had an initiation into the world of magic, and it wasn't anything formal. And instead, it was him fasting for a couple of days, and then he went out into the woods by himself at night. And from the way that I envision it, it was not a safe thing to do. And to paraphrase Frater Chasan, he said, magic that's effective is by its definition dangerous. If magic works, if magic is real, if magic is actually going to affect change, it is dangerous. If you never put yourself in dangerous situations, if you're comfortable, if you're in an air-conditioned room on your Tempur-Pedic mattress, then how can you expect your magic to be anything but air-conditioned and Tempur-Pedic, right? How can you expect your magic to be dangerous if you yourself refuse to be in dangerous situations. And that's super fucking hardcore. And I mentioned in that interview that uh, I think Gordon White, he said something similar, that the fastest way to become initiated into magic is to spend a night by yourself in an abandoned mental asylum. And instead of laughing it off, Frater Chasson was like, yep. He asked me a really intriguing question and a question that I'm still trying to answer. And that question was, why are you doing magic? You know, because magic, if it's going to be effective, it's going to be dangerous. It's not going to be comfortable. Why are you heading towards not just discomfort and danger, but years years of just boredom, no results, of doing things that don't seem like they're working, that seem like they're a waste of time, of all the things you could be doing with your life, you know? Why are you deciding that you're going to use your time to practice magic? And it's something that we all need to consider. Why are we doing this? There's no guarantees. And so much of it is based upon natural talent. It's based upon things that we can't explain. Magic is in itself, by its very nature, unexplainable, inexplicable. It's by its nature always one, two, five steps ahead of us in terms of what we know. We are trying to set course to our life. We're trying to be the captain of our ship using magic, but the actual magic itself, it's laughable to think that we know it and understand it. And by the way, if you totally know how to control magic, then please let me know so I can interview you. That question, what it did for me, 
was bring self-awareness into my magical practice and knowing thyself. That's the first step towards any sort of magic. It's the first step towards aligning to your true will. And you know, Frater Chassan, he said a lot of people, they might be doing magic just because they want the spirits to wow them. They're just looking for basically entertainment. And if that's why you're doing magic, you might have a very difficult road because there are no guarantees that the spirits will do that. And actually, that intention in itself may turn off the spirits. So you may be less likely to have those experiences. Then you have to figure out why, deep down, under all these other reasons, what's the real core of why you're doing magic? If I had to answer the question today, like why I do magic, all my life, ever since I was a kid, ever since I was in kindergarten, I've been looking for something. I thought, if I had the right boyfriend, if I had this awesome guy who would love me unconditionally and who I can devote my life to and who I can love and adore and feel safe with, if I only had him, then my life, it would be cured. I was searching for the one. And then later when that didn't work, I was going into self-development. You know, I was told, oh, well, the reason why you can't find love is because you have a hole inside and you got to fix that hole. You got to fix yourself, girl. And so that's what I did. I was like, okay, there's something wrong with me. I need to be fixed. And so I was working on myself, working on myself, working on myself. And I thought, once that hole inside is filled, my life will be cured. You see where this is going, right? And now finally, I'm starting to see. And by starting to see, I mean I'm just starting to see the outlines of maybe what it's really about. That there was never a hole inside me. There was nothing wrong with me. And that the love I was seeking, it was the love that a raindrop would be seeking from another raindrop. But they're still the same raindrop. This love I was searching for was a search for myself. And the search for myself, not, not just this body, you know, not just this society, not just this world, not just other people. I was looking for a love that has no name. It's a love beyond all love. You know, I was searching for home. I was searching for that ocean because I am that ocean. You're that ocean. We're all that ocean. Last question. What is the one piece of advice you'd give to a new witch? There's really no advice I can give. All I can do is talk about my journey and what works for me. And if you feel that resonates with you, then you can try what I've tried. So when I was an atheist and I was all about material science, I totally discounted everybody's individual experience in favor of this mass consensus reality of objective data points. I didn't care if one person felt this way. 
I wanted to know if 200 people felt this way. But now, you know, talking about bridges and going from that to your personal gnosis, I'm not saying ignore um, the masses and ignoring consensus reality. Well, what I am saying is a lot of times women especially have learned to discount their own sense of self in order to appease this. And that's when your magic shuts down. We all have that magic seed, that witch seed inside of us. And that seed, it grows strong when it's watered by you realizing again that you're that raindrop going to the ocean. It's watered by you. And I don't know what that looks like for you. I just know that for me, it looks like the Neo-Confucianism that runs in my DNA. It looks like the dirt sorcery that Aidan Walker talks about. It looks like the altars that I have for Helios and Hecate. So the only advice that I can really give to a witch is to know yourself and trust that when you find people who can help you grow, that you'll know. Thank you so much, guys, for listening to this fucking monstrous Q&A. I don't know if anybody's still here. Um, if you are, thank you very much for taking any interest in me. Again, guys, if you want to know more about the glamour class that I'm going to be putting on, I'm going to put the link to the email list below. And more information is going to come out around December 6th. And I'm going to make more videos about it and talk more about it. And if it resonates with you, then that's great. But the reason why I do so many interviews with a lot of different types of people in magic and hopefully more diverse people in magic is that the magic path is different for everybody. So I hope, I hope that you find your path. But if it's love and light, stay the fuck away from me. <laughs> Thanks guys. Bye. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Witches & Wine audio experience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon. You can choose between a few membership tiers. They're super affordable and flexible. Your membership helps me continue making videos, podcasts, articles, lots of different things about all the sweet witchy stuff. Links are in the show notes. Also, don't forget to go on iTunes and give this a five-star rating. Each five-star rating helps rank this podcast higher in searches so that as many witches can find and enjoy these episodes as well. Until next time, this is Chawan, signing off.